Bertha Adams, a widow from West Palm Beach, Florida, on the surface seemed like a penniless, penniless recluse. She would come from time to time, she would beg food from her neighbors, she would occasionally buy some, uh, some clothes at the local Salvation Army. But her appearances became fewer and fewer, and finally she just seemingly disappeared. But uh, she was found and discovered in her home deceased. The coroner's report read that her cause of death was malnutrition. She had dwindled down to a mere 50 pounds and uh, not enough to live. The investigators described her home as a pig pen, and one of the investigators said it was the worst that he'd ever seen. You know, from all appearances, she was penniless and a recluse, but that was not the case. The investigators found two keys that fit two, that went to two safe deposit boxes in two different banks. And the first bank contained, or the first box contained some 700 shares of AT&T stock, as well as much other stock and some $200,000 in cash. The second box contained over $600,000 in cash. Combined, the two boxes were worth well over $1 million. The tragedy is that this money could have been used for her health and the health of many other individuals. How much we as Christians need the wisdom of God and some purpose in how we handle our finances. Uh, and so this morning I want to give you a big picture view, some things up in front of you as Christians, how, why, and why we should do well in how we handle our finances. I want to welcome each of you to this part of the service, to this part of our worship, especially the visitors. Love having you here. I'm going to ask each of you to stand, for, the, for those of you that can, for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away the stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. The steward's I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of my stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the Lord's debtors unto him, and he said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, and he said A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. And the, Lord commanded the, and the Lord commanded the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in this generation wiser than the children of light. 
And I say unto you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in least is also unjust in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? Commit to trust you the true riches. And if you have not been faithful to that which is another man's, what, who shall give you that which is your own? No man can serve two masters, for either he will, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also were, also were, who were covetous, heard these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow before you, and as we sit at your table this morning, I am reminded of the words of Samuel, who said, Lord, speak, thy servant heareth. I would pray, Father, that our hearts might be open, our cups might be outward, that they might be filled as we, as we feed from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, money seems to be kind of antithetical to the weather the weather is something that all of us talk about, and it's something really none of us can do anything about. Money seems to be kind of the opposite. We seldom seem to be talking about it, and yet it is something all of us do something about. Uh, especially in church, it seems like when we start talking about money, people get kind of uncomfortable. But it might be of an interest to you that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. In fact, about over half of the parables contained have to do something to do with money. That helps you, ought to help you to understand how much Jesus thought about keeping life real. And uh, how much God wants to be involved in real life. Now think about how much of your life revolves around money. Saving it investing it, finding ways to make it, uh, how to spend it, uh, who to give it to when, we, when someone needs help. Just a lot of our life revolves around money. And uh, so there's this uh, recently, uh, there's a church we came through, uh, did a thing with Dave Ramsey we had through the seven baby steps. How many of you are doing some of the baby steps? How many of you given up? I suppose you're not going to raise your hands this morning. <laughs> well, I want to put in front of you today perhaps one of the most misunderstood portions of Scripture, one of the most perplexing portions of Scripture, in fact, it's a portion of Scripture I don't think I've ever heard taught. And uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> in, the, 
It says, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his good. This owner had a manager, and this man was dazzling his money. And the, the owner found out about it, and as any good owner would do, he calls this money manager to him, and he does something about it. He says in verse, he says in verse 2, he had called him, he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. Um, he uh, tells him that uh, you're done. Clean out your desk. Today is your last day. And so reality kind of sits in for this dishonest steward or this manager. I don't know about you. How many of you would, 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 would want to hire this guy? Anyone? Um, well, the steward, he faces reality. He's without a job. He's going to be without a job. And... Uh, he says to himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away my stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. He, he realizes quickly that he's not strong enough or he's not willing en enough to go out and do manual labor. And he has way too much pride to go out on the streets and beg. So he's in a, he's in a strait. Verse 4 tells us he comes up with a plan. I am resolved what, I, what to do when I am put out of the stewardship that, I may, that they may receive me into their houses. He comes up with a quick plan. It's a plan that's going to guarantee him not probably a job and probably up as well a place to live. So he says in verse 5, he called every, every one of the Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? You know, he, he's calling all the creditors, all the people who owe his boss money. And, uh, and, he, said unto, and, and he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. He, gives this, he writes off fifty percent of this guy's debt. And the second guy comes in, and then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write four score. So he writes off 20% of his debt. Now the way this guy is going, this owner is soon going to be bankrupt. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, this would be the kind of guy you need to lay hands on a while before you get started praying. But all of us, uh, you know, all of us would think that this owner's response would be similar. This guy is just majorly ripping me off. But that's not what, that's what the curve is, where the curve comes in at. This owner actually commends the steward. How in the world could he commend this steward for ripping him off. Look at what it says, verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely.
It's almost outrageous. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that the children of this world in their generation are wiser than the children of light. The lost are smarter in how they handle their money than the Christians. How can Jesus say that? What is it about this dishonest manager that he understands about money that most Christians don't understand? What are we missing? So one of the problems is we get caught up in the blatant dishonesty that we miss that this manager acted very shrewdly. And that he understood a principle that also works in the kingdom of God. That how we handle money impacts our future. And even more so, that the, how we handle our master's money will impact the kind of welcome we get when we enter our future home. Years ago, I sat in one of the men's Sunday school classes, and one of the men said something. He just said it nonchalantly. I don't think he even understood quite what he was saying, but it was an eye-opener for me. He just said, you know, no one is really wealthy. He said, it's just that some people have been given more to manage while they're here. You know, that really is true. None of us own anything. What we've been given, God has simply loaned to us. It wasn't ours. And when we're done, it's going to someone else's. You don't own anything. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I worked for that. But who gave you the health? Who gave you the life? Who gave you breath? God gave it to you. Everything belongs to God. It's not yours. You're simply using it. And when your time is over, it's going to go to somebody else. You don't own it. Now, actually, if, if all of you stop and think about this for a while, it's actually really freeing to, if, to, to understand that some of these, thi these things don't, they're not ours. So if your wife goes out and wrecks your car this afternoon, you can just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what are we going to do about the car? <laughs> this is your car. This is not our car. It's freeing because it's not yours. It's the Lord's. Think about how much our stress level would go down if we'd all just hold it out there and realize it's not ours. Instead of clinging to it, it seems like we... Uh, we get what we can, can what we get, and then we sit on the can. Years ago, I was uptown, and there was this jacked-up four-wheel drive that went through town, and I happened to be behind him. And he had on the bumper sticker on the back of his truck that said, the one with the most toys wins. The one who dies with the most toys wins. 
And later on, I see, see, seen another bumper sticker that seemed to kind of equal it out. It said, the one who, dies, one who with the most toys still dies. <laughs> you see, one of the things that we need to understand that we are just stewards. And as stewards or managers, all of us have done some things, some pretty foolish things with the money that God has entrusted us or with the finances that God has entrusted us as, as stewards. I like the way Dave Ramsey put it. He said, he said, I have a degree in DUMB. We've all done some pretty foolish things and how we've handled our master's money, our master's finances. We are all just stewards. We need to, it's one of the first things we need to understand is that none of us own anything. So how, how do we change this, 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 how we handle finance? Where do we begin at? Well, I don't want to encourage you to be, be dishonest, but the, the, the change begins by learning a few things from some people we don't agree with. And one of them is this dishonest manager. We can learn some, a few aspects about money or finances from this, this uh, dishonest manager. In fact, it says in verse 9, and he says, Jesus says, I say unto you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. In other words, use money to make friends. Notice Jesus is not saying Try to buy friends. He's not, he's not saying use your wealth to go out and buy friends. But he's saying use your master's money in such a way that it makes friends. In other words, be generous in how you handle your finances. Why is that important? Jesus tells us why it's important. He says that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. That word fail in the Greek means die. So that when you die, they will be, there will be those who will be welcoming you into your eternal home. So here's the instruction that we need to begin with. We are to use money and love people. Too often we get this reversed. We use people and we love money. That's how it works. When you have the love of money, you just use people. People become the commodity. Notice the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And notice what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is, also, is, is unjust also in much. You see, money does something. It acts like a magnifying glass. It magnifies the contents of your heart. It demonstrates what's, 
If you're dishonest with a little money, you're going to be really dishonest when you have a lot of money. Or when you, uh, if you're stingy with a little money, when you, when you get a lot of money, you're going to be, most people think, well, I'll give more. That's not true. You'll be more stingy than you've ever been. If, if you're insecure when you have a little money, when you get a lot of money, you're going to be tremendously insecure. You're going to be worrying about everybody taking it. I liked uh, the great boxing Joe Lewis. He, uh, boxer Joe Lewis put it this way. He said, I don't like money, actually, but he said, it quiets my nerves. <laughs> it's not true. If he didn't have peace when he didn't have any money, he's not going to have peace when he has a lot of money. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, now, the good thing about it is if your heart is filled with good things, it also magnifies that. If you're somebody who loves people, when God entrusts you with wealth, it's going to be demonstrated. You're, you're going to use it in ways that will win people. So it's, it's not just a negative thing, but it magnifies whatever is in your heart. So why is it so important that our heart be right and that we use money responsibly? Well, he tells us in verse 11, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You see, God uses money to test us to see what he can entrust us with in eternity. What we go through here is just a test run for eternity. Money is just a small thing. It's in eternity where we will be entrusted with the true riches. And if God can't trust you with something as small as his finances, as his wealth, how is he going to give you that which is your own in eternity. You see the big picture of this? This is like the warm-up lap of a marathon. says in verse 12, if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? He's talking about that which you've been entrusted by God. Now, why is he bringing up faithfulness? Well, the context of this, he's not just talking to the disciples. He's also talking to the scribes and Pharisees. They're listening in. And the, and the Pharisees' money, they with Dave Ramsey, cash is king. And, and he says in verse 14, 
And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. They just mocked him. They rolled their eyes when they heard Jesus talking about this. You see, Jesus was an expert at comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. That's our assignment as pastors as well. Scribes and the Pharisees, they loved money, and that they put on such a big show like they didn't have any. The problem was they were attempting to serve both God and money. Impossible. So Jesus goes to the heart of the problem in verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Have you ever worked at a place where two people tried to be both be the boss? <laughs> I'm sure some of you have. You soon end up resenting or disliking the one. Those are Christian terms for hating. <laughs> what we esteem to be valuable is what we make, ma make our master. Get this. God tests us with money because it quickly reveals what we love most. It just does. You know, you can all sit here this morning and say you love the Lord. But how many of you could I go to your calendar and your checkbook or your day planner and see for myself? You see, what we love is what we give our time and our money, our wealth. Those are the things we love. In spite of everything we say. He says, in, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon this earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where the thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. And notice what he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I had a company, and none of you invested in it, I don't suspect any of you would really care how I run it overall. But if all of you invested $50,000 into my company, I'm guessing most of you would want a week-to-week -week report on what's going on in this company, if not a day-to-day -day for some of you. <laughs> but you see, all of a sudden, what you've invested in, your heart goes to that what you've invested in. So my question this morning is, what are you investing in? Here's another. Money shows what I really trust in. Proverbs 11:28 says, He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. I think we all know of individuals who have put their trust into money 
and watched it, watched it vanish and watched, these, watched the lives just disintegrate. <coughs> the U.S. government did a wonderful favor to us. They put an, uh, an eagle on our money to help us all understand that it flies away quickly. <laughs> now here's a big one. Money shows whether God can trust me. How you use your money shows whether God can trust you. Um says in Colossians 3.24, Knowing that the Lord ye shall receive, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord, Christ, the Lord Christ. In the scriptures, there are many, many references of an inheritance. And this inheritance is coming in the future. But as God entrusts you with the small things of finances, it's going to determine how much of that inheritance you're going to get. The reward. Notice it says the reward of inheritance. It will impact your future. How you handle your, the, the, the finances God has entrusted you with. Out-of-control finances reveal an out-of-control life. How we handle finances impacts how much God can bless my life now and in the future. There are three things this dishonest manager did right. First of all, he looked ahead and considered the future. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the wise keeps life on track. The foolishness of the fool lands him in a ditch. It's just how it works. Wisdom of the wise keeps, the, keeps life on track. He considered the future. He... Uh, you know, we live in a culture where it's, it's, the, the thought is, if it just feels good, go do it. Nobody gives any thought to the future. Um, people are living week to week, check to check. Uh, I think it was on, as on the one uh, news article I read. It said over half of the people in, in this country could not write a check for $500. Does that tell you we're in trouble as a nation? How we're living? You see, the fool never gives any consideration to the future, so when calamity hits, it overwhelms him. Secondly, he made a plan. Proverbs 16.9 says, a, man heart, a man's heart devises his way. He, he makes a plan, but the Lord directeth his steps. A plan is nothing more than a budget. This man made a budget. It, it helps you determine where your money is going so that, at, so that you're not one of those people who end up having too much month at the end of your money. 
Thirdly, he acted quickly. He realized that his time was brief and he needed to make some quick preparation for the future. He knew he was in trouble, and we all are. We need to act quickly and make some plans. Now, this morning, I realize I've done, probably done more afflicting than comforting. <laughs> so I want to give you some encouragement to help you understand that you can make a difference. I want to use a true story to do it. It was a, a true story of a six-year-old girl who understood something about investing in the future. Her name was Hattie Mae Wyatt, and she lived in the late 1800s in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She attended, as a young girl, she, at six years old, she attended Grace Bible Church, and it was very crowded. And the pastor told Hattie that one day the church house would be big enough so that all the children could attend the church. But some two years later, Hattie became sick, and because of not having the medicines we do today, she died. And her mom found under her pillow a little bag containing 57 cents. And in the bag was a little note that was written, to build bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. After the funeral, the mother gave the, the 57 cents to the pastor. And the pastor took those 57 cents and he held an auction and he sold each penny individually. And with those 57 cents, he gained $250. As well as 54 cents, the original pennies came back in. And so he converted the $250 again into pennies and he gave it to what was called the Wyatt Might Society. And through that little society, they auctioned off those, those pennies as well. 26 years later, that pastor did a message called The History of 57 Cents. With 57 cents, a church house was built which, which had a membership of over 5,600 people. A hospital was built where over tens of thousands were treated. A university was built where over 80,000 young people were taught. And over 2,000 young men were trained to go out with the gospel. And it was all because of eight-year-old Hattie Wyatt gave 57 cents, who understood investing in the future. Can you imagine the homecoming that eight-year-old Hattie had when she arrived home? 57 cents. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Just thank you, Father, that 
how it speaks to, to the area of our lives where we seems we live most, the area of finances. Lord, we're grateful for reminding us that how we handle finances impacts our future. How it affects our homecoming. Thank you for the example of six, eight-year-old Hattie who gave 57 cents. Lord, as we, uh, we pray that you would encourage us and remind us continually each day of the week as we use our Lord's money to be responsible and to consider his kingdom. And as we do so, we we'll be careful to give you the glory, for you alone are worthy. And all of God's children said, Amen. James, I'm going to turn the time over.